morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Especially if you're visiting today, and it's lovely to have Sally with us today. Uh, Sally was for many years a faithful member of Friday Friendship, and it's brilliant to have her with us this morning. Sally, we really hope you enjoy this time with us. Everything that we need to follow the service is both on our printed order of service and on the screen. Our service will be led by our Minister Katrina, and if you can stay after the service for a cup of tea or coffee, that would be great. Just turn left out of the door you came in by and you'll find the uh, refreshment station on your left. But immediately after you've got your tea or coffee, um, please come back into the suite for our AGM and church meeting, if you possibly can. Um, if you're on email, you'll have received the papers from me uh, last week. But I have four hard copies for the people who don't use email, and they'll be on the communion table after the service. We aim to finish around 1 o'clock or shortly after 1pm, so uh, please do try and stay for that meeting. Our evening service at 7pm will be in Wellington Church, and that service will be led by Alison Hay. Next Sunday at 11, Katrina will lead worship here in the hotel, and in the evening at 7pm, Rebecca Gebauer will lead evening worship in Wellington Church. These are all our notices. Thank you, Anne. As our call to worship this morning, I'm going to use some words from the letter of James. Every generous act of giving, with every perfect gift, is from above coming down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I'll say that again because it's very short. Every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So let's sing our praises to that unchanging God as we join in the words of our first hymn, and you're invited, if you're able to stand as we sing together, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven.
So let's come with our prayers of praise and confession to that God of grace and mercy. And of course, as is usual, we will join our voices at the end of the guided prayer in, our, in the language that is closest to our heart as we share in the prayer Jesus taught us. So let's pray. Faithful God, we marvel at the profound truth that you are always with us that there is nowhere in all creation that is not reached by your love. No time in all eternity when you are not present. This is mind-blowing. It is also deeply reassuring, reminding us that there is no challenge we will face, no loss we may experience, no journey we may undertake without your love to surround us and strengthen us. It's not enough, maybe, but we say thank you. Forgiving God, this same truth that you are always with us that there is nowhere that we can hide from you, no time when your all-seeing gaze turns away from us. This too is mind-blowing. It's also deeply challenging, reminding that there is no hiding place, no sin that we may hide from you, no lack of love that we can conceal. Yet, where your love is, there is also grace and mercy. It feels inadequate, perhaps, but confident of forgiveness, we can say that we are sorry. Father, Mother, God, more than a parent, yet known to us as such, we who depend on you for our very being, join our hearts, minds and voices with those in other places and other times, as we say together, our Father, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to start this morning by doing a little game. I'm going to show you two pictures on the screen. And if you need to come a bit closer to see them, then feel free to move around. And what I'm going to do is give you a couple of minutes um, to see if you can spot 10 differences between them. And if you just share that with those sitting near to you, you don't need to call them out because we'll go through them at the end and we can see how many we found. Okay, so we have two pictures of some ducks on a lake and just a couple of minutes just see how many differences you can spot between them and just share those with the people sitting near you. Okay, has anybody managed to find 10 differences? Anybody found 10? Anybody found nine? 
I always tend to get one less than there are here. Anybody got eight? Eight, very good. Seven? Didn't count, or less than seven, or didn't count? Okay. Well, there's some really good, good well, well spotted, those who've got seven, eight, or nine. We'll just quickly run through them. Um, one of the ducks is facing the other way. There is a slight difference between the lily, between the two pictures. There is a, a random ripple in the top one. The duck, the li that little duck has different wings. Um, on the top picture, it's got one wing. On the bottom wing, it's got two. There is a fish in the bottom picture. The feathers are slightly different on the big duck. The big duck's eye is looking in a different direction. The sun is missing at the top. Two um, birds there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then that duck is, is quacking in the bottom one and not quacking in the top one. <laughs> was that the one, Holly? <laughs> if it's any consolation, that was the last one that I found when I was doing it as well. Yeah, well, well done that. Anyway, so some of these differences are quite tricky to spot, aren't they? Some of them are quite obvious, a duck that's facing the opposite way or a fish or a sun that's missing. They're quite obvious. Other di differences are quite small and difficult to spot. Anybody seen anything different in here from last week? <laughs> yep, the flowers are different, different flowers. It's not the same flowers that we had last week. Okay, well, they've, yeah, they've been, they've been moved because people couldn't see through them to see the, the ducks. But yeah, no, no that's fine. Yeah, that is different. Well done, yeah. And they're that side, not this side. So we obviously knew what we were doing when we were swapping them over. What else is different this week than last week? Well, who's here this week that wasn't here last week? You don't have to put your hands up, but quite a few people. So that's different. <laughs> who's not here that was here last week? <laughs> so sometimes there are little differences. Sometimes there are big differences. Sometimes they're important differences, and sometimes they're not. I'm going to show you um, a photo now. This photo was taken in 1933. This is the manager's court of Hillhead Baptist Church <laughs> in 1933. By gum, they look scary. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm glad I'm not one of these three. These three are ministers. We have... Um, Neil, do you know who we have? Before I... The one in the centre is Dr. Macbeth. The one to the left of him is... Yep. We're seeing it is John Thomas Ford. Correct. <laughs> the top one might be on Mr. Buckingham, who's an apprentice assistant. He's actually... Percy Davis, who was a student minister at uh, Partick at the time. But well done, Neil. Neil is the fount of all knowledge. Yes, carry on, Neil. Lewis's father, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I think Lilith's dad looks really young and really kind <laughs> in amongst all those scary faces, and I'm sure he's a really good secretary. So this picture was taken in 1933. Quite a lot's changed since then, hasn't it? We've got colour photographs. We've got women managers. <gasps> We've got a woman minister. Shock horror. Um, 
2008. Sarah, Freya, Leo, Ken, Barbara. I think, is that Beth there? Possibly Beth, I'm not sure. Um, I did see Miss Allen, I just lost her. But, so this was a photo that was taken in 2008. So again, some things have changed, haven't they? Some of us have grown taller. Some of us weren't here then. I wasn't here in 2008. Some people have grown taller. Some people have gone home to be with God. Some people have moved away. and Some new people have come in. Um, it's interesting looking at that. I think our age profile is pretty similar. But we are um, much more ethnically diverse than that picture appears to show. I'm not saying the church was less ethnically diverse, but that picture perhaps is a little bit less so. Two more photos just to make you laugh. Um, one of them um, theoretically dates back to 1883, and one of them dates back to 2011. So it's actually quite an old photo, even of me. That's an uh, eight-year-old photo of me. That's the one that's on our website. But who's this? So that's Mr. Robarts. That's the very first minister of Hillhead Baptist Church who came up to here from Liverpool, if I remember correctly. And I'm not sure, but I think he may have come from the church where I am now mentoring the minister. If it wasn't him, it was one of our other ministers that came from the church in Liverpool, whose minister I am currently mentoring. And he married your granny? Um, no, he married like, one of my mum's dad's relatives. Okay. In <laughs> so in 1883, he married a relative of Katrina's. There we go. So... Uh, it could be Ralph Martin that came from the church of the person I'm mentoring. Who knows? Anyway, the point is, things change, but we're still the same church, aren't we? When I was a little girl growing up, my dad used to tell the joke about the person who had a mop. And they would say, I've had this mop for 20 years. It's had three new heads and four new handles, but it's still the same mop. And we're a bit like that as a church, aren't we? Nobody's here who was here in 1883. And even if we were to go back to this picture, these people, I suspect, are all long gone. But we're still the same church, and we have the same God and the same Jesus that we're trying to follow. And that's kind of what we're thinking about this morning. So we're going to sing a song that I learned um, when I was young. Hopefully some other people will know it. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is my friend. Thanks, Paul. Jesus. 
Our first reading this morning is from Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Second reading is from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. So we carry on metaphorically walking the St. Magnus Pilgrim Way. And as we do so, it takes us deep inland, across fields, some of it by surprisingly busy main roads. And along the way, we pass houses that are old and new. There are churches, some that date back hundreds of years, some that still work as churches, others that have been converted into dwellings. And there are humps and bumps in the ground where ancient burial mounds can still be found if you know what to look for. Elsewhere on the island, you can find the Ring of Brodga, which is what this is a photo of. It's a stone circle, and it's now believed it's actually older than Stonehenge. There is also Scarabray, the remains of an ancient settlement discovered after a freak storm. And so there is this sense of continuity and timelessness, all these ancient things that are still there, but also a sense of change. Whilst my friend and I were walking along the road, we had to jump out of the way of a Tesco home delivery van who seemed so shocked to see people walking on the correct side of the road that he had to slam his brakes on. Maybe he hadn't seen us. There were satellite dishes and foam masts and every day in the summer, when, a cruise ships, when the cruise ships come into Kirkwall, as many as 10,000 people 
come off those ships and into the lined-up coaches to go out into the island. Because the main industry now in Orkney is tourism. Now, just for a bit of comparison on those numbers, the population of Kirkwall is 10,000. So it basically doubles its population every day when a cruise ship comes in. So what that would be equivalent to for us would be half a million people suddenly arriving at Central Station or at Pacific Key. It's that kind of equivalent effect. So huge numbers of people come in. So it's changed over time, and yet it's the same. And of course, that's true everywhere. If we were to walk down Byers Road, things have changed quite a lot over the last decade. When I first came, there was a pancake shop. That's long since gone. The Vodafone shop's gone. Some of the banks have gone. Some of the banks have changed names. I did have a set in my head, and I've forgotten them all, but lots of little changes. But sometimes when we go away, we're more alert to the sense of continuity because we don't know what's changed. And so this morning, we're going to quite briefly think about that blend of change and continuity. Firstly, thinking about the way we think about God, very briefly about ourselves, and then lastly, as a church. Bagpipes. <laughs> For as long as there have been theologians, there have been debates about the nature of God. And very often, God is defined pretty much as all or nothing. God is all-knowing, all-seeing, all-loving, all-present. But also, in much many theologians speak, God does not or cannot suffer. God does not or cannot change. God does not or cannot die. Trouble is, if you look at those definitions, they never quite stack up. If you start to read the scriptures, especially the Old Testament and the stories of the ancient believers in Yahweh, we discover a God, frankly, who is biased. A God whose mind can be changed. Please, God, if there are a hundred righteous people in that city, will you not smite it? Please, God, if there are 50, please, God, if there are 10. And God said, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Or the story of Jonah and Nineveh. I will smite this city unless, oh, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to smite them. And Jonah gets kind of cross with God. Even in the New Testament, we see a Jesus who's shamed by the time and culture in which he lives, who seems to learn with others and from others. The woman at the well? The Syrophoenician woman, Mary and Martha, mostly women, I have to say, but also in his relationships with men, the Roman centurion, for example, in whom he sees faith. And actually, as we go on through the New Testament into the letters, we see things start to change. We have a contradiction between an Old Testament God who seems to promote xenophobia and genocide in order to build up one chosen nation. And then we have a New Testament God who systematically breaks down the divides of gender, race, age, status, and so on. And so we have a challenge if we try to take the Bible 
and our faith and our God seriously. Does God change or does God stay the same? Process theology suggests that God does indeed change, at least in human understanding throughout history. And yet at the same time, the core essence of God, what I used to call God's godness when I was a student, I kind of got famous for referring to God's godness, that doesn't change. The the, the heart of, of God's very being doesn't change. So what does that mean? Those who were here last week will remember we used a metaphor of tree rings to think about our own growth and development. Over time, the tree changes. It gets wider and taller, and it grows new branches, and some of the branches die and fall off. It experiences different seasons. But it's still a tree. Its treeness doesn't change. Sorry, my philosophy lecture is into putting ness on the end of everything. We had treeness and godness and everythingness. But the essence of the tree is still tree, and the essence of God is still God. But of course, God isn't a tree. And we have to be careful not to press any metaphor beyond what it can stand. The Baptist theologian, Paul Fides, is a broadly evangelical process theologian. And he likes to use the metaphor of the ocean. And he says that deep in the heart of the ocean is a still center that doesn't change. Even though the currents change, the waves come and go, and the life within the ocean changes, in essence, the ocean is still ocean. And if we were to draw on the quotation used by the Apostle Paul of a God in whom we live and move and have our being, which is um, in Acts 17, if anyone's wanting a reference, the idea that everything is inside God panentheism for those who want a big word, that ocean metaphor is quite helpful. While the waters are perturbed by the movement of everything in it, its essence is unaltered. It is still the ocean. And of course, we can't push that metaphor too far, especially in our own day and age when we see oceans poisoned with discarded plastic, oil, and other waste produced by humans. We can't poison or kill God. Although, of course, all our sinfulness and waywardness somehow is held within the ocean of God's love. I wouldn't want to say that God doesn't feel pain and I wouldn't want to say that God doesn't suffer because if that's true, what point the cross? If Jesus is God, if Jesus experienced the pain of the cross, then we have a God who feels pain, a God who can suffer. I've always kind of felt that God can suffer. I've always struggled with this impassive, immutable God who kind of is above it all. So what is the essence of God? What is it about God that doesn't change and can't change? In the scriptures we heard read for us this morning, which inspired some of the hymns and songs we've been using, we see some of the key truths about God. In the call to worship, we're reminded that God's essence is unchanging. That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
That's Hebrews 13. A God whose loving kindness and mercy are endlessly refreshed every day. It's like new lamentations. And a God who cannot be overcome by evil or sinfulness. Evil and sinfulness cannot defeat or kill God. God is love. God is merciful. God in Christ draws all the evil and sorrow, death and fear into the heart of God's very being. God dreams of a renewed creation, a new heaven and a new earth where everyone and everything is made whole. God's essence doesn't change. But humans do evolve and change. And I think that affects our perception of God, our ability to listen to God and for God, and our understanding of how that plays out in our daily lives. So a God who is, in essence, unchanging. But what about us? How do we stay the same and how do we change? What are the factors that shape us as the people we are? And how do we change and stay the same as time goes on? Because if we see change and continuity in God, we would expect to see change and continuity in ourselves. Over the summer, we did quite a lot of thinking about spirituality, and we looked at some thoughts around personality and the hypothesis that our personality is a blend of nature and nurture, of our natural leanings and the experiences we have, and that whilst we can identify and work on our character, especially the bits we think are perhaps not quite so nice, deep, deep inside who we are, the essence of Katrina-ness or Wendy-ness or Ali-ness doesn't change. We are the same people. And I think the tree ring metaphor again helps us with that one. The tree changes as the years go by, but its treeness doesn't change. And our humanness doesn't change either. Very briefly, I'm going to have to watch the timing this morning. I, I'm going to share one example with you about how I think I've changed and not changed. When I was a teenager, my dad used to tell me that I was a communist. He told me I was a communist because I said everybody should have access to the same opportunities. Whatever work you do, I said, you should get paid the same and you should be treated the same. Everybody is of equal importance and equal value. Whether that makes me a communist or not, I don't know. Of course, I'm a lot older now, and it's not that simple, is it? And we don't all get paid the same, and we don't all have the same opportunities, even if though deep down I think we should. But what I have had a chance to do as I've grown older is to think through what does that mean in terms of my faith and my life? So I've had to think about, for example, what does it mean about freedom of speech and freedom of conscience, freedom of religion? What does it mean about equal opportunities and inclusion, ability and disability, nationality and ethnicity, gender and sexuality, and so on and so on? And some of these topics I've revisited many times as my understanding has changed in the light of new experience. And sometimes I have had to repent of bad choices, bad attitudes, 
poor understandings. And I've always had to try to integrate them into a healthier, holier whole. For me, it's the words of Galatians 3.28 that just express this truth the best. Where it says, and Paul says, in Christ, all the humanly defined divisions vanish. Race and status, gender, whatever, whatever they are. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male and female. All of this goes because actually God is so inclusive. So if everybody is made in the image and likeness of God, and if I therefore glimpse something of God in every person, whose skin colour, whose language, whose religion, whose politics, whose sexuality, whose gender, whose education, whose whatever it is, differs from mine, then I have to keep asking myself questions about what does that mean? So that's one example of a core value I have and how its expression has had to be revisited and reviewed over time. I have to apologise to Joan and to Holly for past homophobia. And I'm grateful to have you two in my church. For others, it will be other things. The same God who doesn't change, but the God who changes us more into the image and likeness of Christ. So that's me. That's God. What about us? We've already had a look at some pictures of our church. 136 years ago, nine people had a vision to establish a Baptist church on the edge of the city, meeting in the borough halls on Byers Road. And right at the start, they had some key values which are still expressed to this very day, perhaps in different ways, though. Right from the outset, Hillhead Baptist Church was an open membership church. Most Baptist churches in Scotland then were closed membership, and a lot still are. But this decision, consciously made, to receive into membership those who had been baptised under other traditions and those who had not yet been baptised but were able to make a profession of faith, paved the way for inclusion, welcome, hospitality, ministry and mission that have been part of our church all that time. You saw that picture of the managers in 1933, all those scary men. Would it scare you to know that in 1971, they were all still men? It was, we think, 1972, 1972 or 1973, that the first women managers were appointed. And it's a shame that Lilius is not able to be with us today, but Lilius was one of the first three women managers, trustees, deacons, whatever name you like to use, of Hillhead Baptist Church. So change slowly, but a consistency in the values underpin that. And it's not the case that women had no role in the church. Please don't think that. They did all sorts of things from the early days the women of Hillhead Baptist Church were out in the community. 
They were teaching women to sew. They were helping run Bible studies. There were Bible women who went out evangelizing. And of course, how could we forget our own Irene Allen, who worked tirelessly for 50 years with people whose lives were afflicted by addiction? Values of inclusion, values of service, values of mission. The 20th century drew to a close, and Hillhead was at the forefront of campaigning for the ordination of women in the Baptist Union of Scotland. It was 1999 when the Baptist Union of Scotland Assembly finally agreed to allow churches to have women and they would be accredited. That's slightly spooky, because the autumn of 1999 is when I started training in Manchester. Don't know whether God was up to something there, but who knows. What I do know is prophets are never popular, and our church was wounded by the way people reacted to its endeavours in supporting the ordination of women. But we do continue to try and keep that prophetic edge. We try to pioneer. We try to reflect on complicated and challenging topics. We seek to welcome, value, and affirm all who wish to covenant with us and to keep at our hearts the thoughtful worship, intelligent prayer, and open-hearted, open-mind diversity that characterizes. In some ways, Hillhead Baptist Church has changed dramatically since 1883. It's become more diverse, and in some ways, maybe a bit more radical. But at its heart, we're still the same church. We might have had three new heads and four new handles, but we're still that same mop. We're still committed to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in this part of this city to which God calls us. In 50 years' time, the west end of Glasgow might look very different. The babies of our creche will be nearly as old as I am. Not quite, but nearly. And anybody who's as old as me, well, frankly, sorry folks, but we won't be here. We'll be up there or wherever heaven is. But this same dependable, unchanging God is still our refuge and strength. And the timeless values of God for love, the values of love for God, love for our neighbor and love for ourselves will continue to be worked out and expressed here. And surely on this day as we come to our AGM, that encourages us to keep on traveling with God. So let us sing, through the love of God our Savior, all will be well.
Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Dear Lord, I am privileged to voice our collective prayers for ourselves and our world to you today. Thank you for your patience in listening. Now, I cannot speak as poetically as the ancient psalmists, but I think they would understand and sympathise with what I have to say. They too lived in what the ancient Chinese called interesting times. Ours are so interesting and confusing, many people feel we are trapped on a runaway train heading for the buffers with no one trustworthy at the controls. There is going to be an almighty crash and we are all bracing ourselves frightened of what is to come. Uh, to put it mildly, our world seems to have gone crazy. Nature seems to be ganging up on us also. Okay, we know that it is our own fault for not curbing our greed and pillaging natural resources for short-term gain. But the results are devastating to innocent people, crops and animals and it seems impossible to turn back the tide of disaster. As individuals, we can say, oh, it's not my fault. It was the work of governments and huge corporations. But that does not make it any better, for they show no remorse or inclination to alter their ways. If the hurricane winds change direction from destroying assorted Caribbean islands, we may soon smell the Amazon rainforest burning and hear the cries of the indigenous people driven out of their homes to make way for profit-making farms. Profit-making in the short term, devastating for the whole planet in the long term. So, Lord, as did the Psalms long ago, in despair we turn to you. Please, we pray, Direct those in power with common sense to mend their ways before we all hurtle to environmental and political destruction. Now, this is not going to be one of those long-winded prayers, Lord. On this occasion, we pray mainly for the large picture rather than the minute. But having said that, as a congregation, we ask you to look kindly in this instance on one of our Iranian families of Nasi, Sal, Nikan and Nikyar, that they may continue to prosper in this country they have chosen and not feel they have made a dreadful mistake. We ask also that you give a special heavenly hug to our dearest Lilias, who have been faithful to you and this congregation for a lifetime. We see her and feel uplifted by her warmth, her loving concern and beauty of nature. 
We are blessed to have her as part of our company of believers, for she reflects your love in the love she gives to us. Then, in the wider local Baptist community, we pray for the Leaving Baptist Church, who have just welcomed a new senior pastor, the Reverend Peter Foster. With your help, may he be a good shepherd to his flock. We pray too for the Lerwick Baptist Church in their work of sharing the faith with islanders and visitors alike. And at this time of the year, we pray in particular for the UCCF organisation which helps support Christian students in our halls of learning. Many have left homes and countries to come here to learn and must feel a degree of loneliness. Let them learn their subjects and of your love in equal measure. Finally, we admit we are fearful of the future, Lord, but like the psalmists, we trust that your love, O God, our Saviour, will help us to pass safely through this time of tribulation. Give us strength today, renewed hope for tomorrow, knowing that all things may change. Your love and that of Jesus will not do so, and therefore we may rest with quieter minds in your heavenly promise that ultimately all will be well. In the end, I can only sum up this prayer with one heartfelt word. Help! All this I ask humbly in the name of your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Come from thee, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. Amen. And so let's sing one more time of the faithfulness of our God, and we are using the traditional words for this hymn.
changeless God, constantly with us by night and by day. As we go on from here, may we do so with renewed confidence and courage to live lives worthy of the Christ whose name we bear today and every day. Thank you.